How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got I to gotta check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is beer! I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch has got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Welcome into another edition of Booze and Baseball with Derek Johnson and Dusty Baker. This is episode number five. We had uh, Braden Suprenant on on the last podcast, which you can check out all of those on uh, iTunes, on Podbean. It's on Google Play as well. And we're going to go further in depth with the NL West on today's episode. Dusty, how is it going and what are you drinking tonight? Derek, I'm doing great. Uh, preparing for Thanksgiving, uh, which I will be working that day, but uh, still uh, got a got a little feast ahead of me that I'm going to cook by myself. But today, uh, I decided, you know what? During Thanksgiving, I like a nice, just classic beer, and so this is a Texas brand. Uh, uh, it's Shiner Bach. I think uh, everybody has had to try this at some point in their lives, I would hope. But uh, Shiner is just classic for me, and uh, this is the perfect pour into my uh, Ron Swanson. There's no wrong way to consume alcohol glass. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I didn't get too creative on this one, but, um, I don't even think you can really hear this, but, uh, you could see it. So it, it looks nice and, uh, Shiner's really hard to beat on this. So, uh, that is what I'm drinking to, uh, celebrate an early, uh, Thanksgiving day. What about you? You, you gave me a little bit of advertising. I decided to drink the Los Angeles Dodgers tonight. You said the Dodgers <laughs> are Guinness on the last episode. So I decided to go out and get a Guinness for you as, representation of the team who uh, won the NL West. I think, still think it's a horrible comparison, but uh, I, I just thought it sounded good, and you made me think about it. So congratulations on uh, advertising. Hey, cheers to that, man. I could appreciate that any day. All right, cheers to that. So that brings us into our first team, the Los Angeles Guinnesses, also known as the Los <laughs> Angeles Dodgers, 43-17 and 17 last season, obviously won the World Series um do you want to kind of take this away with the party on this one since uh you are a Dodgers fan yeah and I mean you know they finally won the World Series for the first time in 32 years Uh, they were also there was a huge reason why they won it all they were first in the NL in runs home runs slugging they were second in OPS the pitching I mean they led the NL in ERA they also ended up with the second in the MLB in defensive runs saved at 29 in just 60 games he can block, tackle, score the touchdown, snap the ball, hold the ball, get the extra point. Hell, the boy will fill up the Gatorade cooler, walk the dog, and paint your backcourt. I'm telling you. Oh, and he can pass. 
They also ended up with the second in the MLB in defensive run, saved at 29 in just 60 games. Uh, Derek, the depth of this team, it's obviously insane as well. That's where their strength lies. Um, and it, it's not stopping anytime soon, even with free agency looming here. Uh, they had great years by Seager, Betts, Turner, Pollock. I mean, you can name this entire roster, and they all contributed in some way, shape, or form. Even the guys that, of course, didn't play on that World Series roster that included Gavin Lux. The pitching is the same. Uh, in the regular season, the depth was obviously May, Gonsolin, Urias that stepped up to the plate. Uh, among the others, plus the top two, of course, of Kershaw and Bueller. Um, they made for an unbelievable staff, and those five had combined for a 2-7 ERA. Uh, the bullpen was a little shaky at times, to say the least, but uh, especially during the postseason, they had to kind of get out of a lot of jams, but you saw in game six uh, that the bullpen ultimately stepped up and was the key reason why they were able to win game six against Blake Snell, outside of the obvious that Blake Snell was taken out a little bit early. Sorry a little too soon for you Tampa Bay Rays fans, but guys like Victor Gonzalez, you had Adam Kolarik, also Jake McGee. Uh, you have Gratterall, who came over that uh, obviously the, originally the Red Sox were supposed to get him in the Mookie Betts deal. Well, instead he comes to L.A. and uh, Kenta Maeda goes over to Minnesota. Of course, Maeda had a great season. Uh, but Bruce are Gratterall, great. Maeda was still on the Dodgers, though, with the season he had? It, it's Even with the Maeda on this roster, I think the one thing that would be different uh, would be that eighth inning, and Gratterall came in and did a decent job solidifying that. Maeda did great as well, but I think it's good for both sides that Maeda had a chance to be a starter. Um, and uh, ultimately, I mean, he finished in the top three in Cy Young voting with, guess who else? Hyunjin Ryu. So some of the Dodgers' losses definitely paying off for other teams, but Gratterall ultimately I think was a huge addition for this team. And then Blake Trinan got a huge final inning uh, of support, obviously, uh, to support Jansen. Um, in the game five, uh, to be able to get the final three outs was super important to kind of help lead LA to victory there. All right. Well, I'll be the bad guy since I'm a Giants fan. So you're just going to leave me with the hangover <laughs> on the Dodgers. You know, but really, there is no hangover. You, you win the World Series. The only hangover is the real hangover that the Dodgers are going to have because they're going to be so excited. They're going to be going out, popping bottles, having a good time. That's going to be the real hangover. But I guess if we're going to nitpick, <laughs> Um, beyond the celebration, Kenley Jansen was a little bit shaky. Uh, I think a lot of people were predicting Gavin Lux was going to break out coming into the year. That didn't happen. And then you had Max Muncy, Cody Bellinger, and Jock Peterson all go through kind of slumps over the regular season. But those are very small nitpicks. Now, I think losing key role players, and I mentioned one of them, Jock Peterson could be one of them. Um, in free agency. Maybe that changes the complexion of the team moving forward. It's not just Jock. It's, you know, Kike Hernandez. Are they going to bring back Justin Turner? What about a guy like Alex Wood? You mentioned Blake Trinan, uh, the slowest pitcher in baseball, Pedro Baez. Will he come back to make things take longer for uh, Dodgers games? And if you lose all those players, odds are probably going to trust their youth because that's kind of what the Dodgers organization has done. They've been able to uh, kind of have the infrastructure from inside the organization to where a guy like Edwin Rios or Gavin Lux, can they come up and start to impact more? Um, does Josiah Gray come up with a specified role for this team? How exactly are the Dodgers going to look going into 2021? Will Lux, for example, or Edwin Rios get a chance to start or will they bring back some of the guys from this World Series champion roster? That's the real question, uh, I would say, revolving around a guy like Lux and revolving around their youth in particular. Yeah, and again, it's, it's picking nits because 
if we're just going to talk about this team as a whole and review them, it was awesome. They uh, were fantastic all season long. They won the World Series. The lineup had depth. It had stars. You had Mookie Betts come over. Uh, the starting pitching, you had a really good one-two punch with Kershaw and uh, Walker Buehler. In the regular season, you had good depth as the starting pitching. In the postseason, the depth uh, it didn't matter as much, but you had enough from the bullpen. It was just – it was great all around. Um, my biggest question, honestly, for kind of the nitpicking side of it and the hangover is just, I guess, moving forward, now that Kenley Jansen's had his issues in the postseason – who do you think's the the closer going to be for this 2021 season? Yeah, I mean, you know, in our rundown, you could go through the stats of just saying that Bruce Dargatterall on paper would look like kind of the guy that they're molding to be that. But, you know, a 5K per nine is not showing that he's missing a lot of bats. So that's a little bit scary considering the guy throws 101 miles per hour like it's no man's business. I mean, he literally just steps up on the mound. It doesn't even look like he goes through a windup and he just throws absolute gas. Uh, he may need some grooming. Uh, maybe that's something the Red Sox saw as a possible issue, a liability with him. Not really sure exactly where the Red Sox mentality was when they decided that Gratterall was not going to be the guy outside of his, uh, obviously, his injury history. But I, I think at this time, you know, some people are going to want to throw out the idea that Julio Urias should, should be the guy in the ninth inning. I completely disagree with that aspect just because of the fact he's so young right now and he's proven he can go deep in games and so you don't want to all of a sudden uh you know tell a young kid that's got a lot of potential still I mean I don't think Julio has hit his ceiling yet uh Urias kind of reminds me of what Adam Wainwright played uh the role he played for the Cardinals uh back when they won the World Series uh I believe it was 20 when 2011 um you know and so uh, I just think that the idea between having Arias, Jansen, or Gratterall in that position. I'm not a huge fan of any of the three for very different reasons. Obviously, Jansen has only one year left on his deal. Uh, you wonder if the Dodgers are going to ride him out that way and just basically kind of hope that he can survive. But I don't think that that's how it's going to work. There's been a lot of rumors surrounding the Dodgers this offseason, um, specifically, obviously, with Nolan Arenado in recent days. I don't see why that's the primary focus for them. They are loaded depth-wise. The only place they need help with is the ninth inning, and this may be the most loaded closer group of free agents I've ever seen. Um, and just bite the bullet for the final season with Jansen, tell him he's in a setup role, um, and then, you know, send him off the next season. But that's the that's the long answer for who should answer who, who should be the answer in the ninth inning. I think you gotta go free agency for that because outside of that, the Dodgers are you know, I, I think they're perfectly fine to repeat again. Uh, so as we move on to the offseason now, Pedro Baez, Kike, uh, Jock, Blake Trinan, Justin Turner, Alex Wood, those are the notable free agents. What do you see as the big uh, headlines and priorities for this team in the offseason? Yeah, um, I think the out of those names that you mentioned, the one I'm most curious to watch is Kike Hernandez. Uh, I think he's slightly underrated, and I, I mean, obviously – teams have figured out that he can add a huge presence to a lineup but also a locker room as well uh, that's that added element but that statistics just can't you know throw at you um we'll see I, I don't think that Kike will ultimately be re-signing with the Dodgers because if he does he may be blocking somebody like a Gavin Lux or an Edwin Rios uh, the other one is Justin Turner uh, that should be the main priority is just figuring out what exactly to do at that third base position uh, I still think they can get probably one to two more good years out of him at the DH 
Uh, of course, we only know that that's going to happen for one year in the National League, so that could be a risk. But the big thing outside of those free agents should be locking up Corey Seager. He's heading into his contract year, uh, and that could be the decision between him between Bellinger, who's a free agent in 2024 after two years of arbitration. Um, and then on top of that, we mentioned Nolan Arenado briefly. Do they actually pursue that, or is that more of a rumor? Because oftentimes this seems like this is the storyline where John Paul Morosi will throw, throw out a name. He'll hear that the Dodgers are interested, when in reality, everybody is interested in Nolan Arenado. So it's hard to take that conversation seriously, when in reality, you could bring back players that you groomed yourself and keep them within your organization to help lead you to a World Series title. So I think the priority right now is probably Corey Seager trying to wrap him up. Maybe Bellinger's in those talks. Bueller could be in those talks. Urias could be in those talks. They got a lot of guys to work on internally, you know, not having to dig into new players in free agency. All right. Well, with that, let's move on to the next team in the order, the San Diego Padres. They went 37-23 and 23 last year, lost in the NLDS to the Dodgers. It was their first playoff appearance since 2006. That goes in the party aspect of it, no doubt. And it wasn't like they only made the playoffs because it was, oh, they expanded the playoffs this year and they just found a way to get in. No, they had the second best record in the National League this year. And that was thanks to ranking fourth in the NL in OPS, third in the NL in runs and home runs. And then pitching-wise, they were third in the NL in ERA. Uh, they had good strikeout and walk numbers as well. Fernando Tatis gets all the headlines, deservedly so. He's the heartbeat of that team. He's one of the most fun players, if not the most fun player to watch in baseball. He's a great player. And sneakily, it wasn't even him who finished in the top three of MVP voting. We talked about this last week with Braden. It was Manny Machado. Machado had the better average, OBP, slugging, OPS+, plus, RBIs, finished with higher uh, – overall numbers than Fernando Tatis did because of a late slump for Tatis. And then you got other guys kind of factoring in as well. Eric Cosmer had a nice little bounce back year. Will Myers had a really good year for the Padres. And then you kind of sprinkle in the emergence of Jake Cronenworth, who was an NL Rookie of the Year finalist. You had Trent Grisham, who you get from the Brewers um, in a trade, and he had a really good season for them. And they had a super utility man with Jerickson Profar, who uh, still – I guess uh, is has that billing of former number one prospect and he had a really good season for the Padres. And then, as I mentioned on the mound, they had a really good year to, to match uh, the lineup as well. You traded for Mike Clevenger and following that you had Clevenger, Denelson Lamette, who for a while was a legit Cy Young candidate. You get a really good year from Zach Davies. Overall, you get a 3.46 ERA from the starters. I do think it's a bit more of a question in 2021 now that we know Clevenger done for the year. Lamette is battling an offseason injury. Who knows if Davies can repeat uh, what he put together this past year. But it just all kind of worked together for the Padres this year. In the pen, you made the great signing of Drew Pomeranz, who's kind of a guy who can be a, a long relief guy. He can come in in the fifth, sixth inning, or he can come in and, and kind of shut things down in the eighth inning or whatnot. And then you traded for Trevor Rosenthal to help solidify things at the back end of the bullpen. He was really good for you. Didn't give up a run in the regular season after you traded for him. It was just overall a great year for the Padres. Definitely more party than a hangover, but what were the negatives for San Diego? Yeah, the hangover for the Padres. I mean, first of all, you know, it's crazy to look back on how many moves that Preller had made, but trading for Tommy Pham was one that did not pan out for the Padres. Uh, as you kind of mentioned previously, Tatis hit 208 in September. Uh, Chris Paddock, 
you know, he was a guy that I think a lot of us thought would be the number one starter for the Padres going into the season, and he struggled. Overall, the bullpen that looked to be, you know, a major strength. A lot of people were talking about that bullpen going into the season. Well, they did not pan out accordingly outside of the two you mentioned. One of those was Rosenthal that they acquired in the trade deadline. So, uh, you know, you hope Fam is okay health-wise. Uh, he, he got stabbed, so uh, just I don't really want to address that too much. It's just Tommy Fam lives a very unbelievable life that I don't think any of us can really understand completely. Um, so we can just hope that he returns to form after an injury-plagued season. And then, uh, obviously, that off-season mishap, uh, I don't really know much about that. I don't think any of us truly do, but – uh, let's just cross the fingers Tommy Fan is okay because that's the last news that we want to have. You know, on the flip side, Manuel Vargo was a key piece for Tampa Bay, and he was on the return side of things for Fam. So, uh, obviously, Margot was one of the key pieces that led Tampa Bay to the World Series. You know, you look at Tatis Jr., I think that part of that, he's a young player, kind of like what we talked about with Lux. Um, it also gives you the reminder that it was a 60-game season, and you know, slumps will happen, and uh, of course, slumps are more prorated, I guess, and you, you pay attention to them a lot more in a 60-game stretch because uh, you don't have 162 games where you can make that comeback late in the season. So we'll see how Tatis uh, figures himself out in 2021. I don't think that it's something to really be concerned about, though. Paddock is not the first former good rookie to have a sophomore slump. The scary thing going forward, he was 73rd uh, percentile in exit velocity to 10th percentile, which is really a dangerous thing to keep in mind. He was also 81st percentile in hard hit rate. He went to 5th percentile. I mean, uh, he 95% went from, of the league was better than him in that. That's crazy. It, which is just absolutely whacked out that you consider that he was the top pitcher, uh, you know, a year ago. And so 83rd percentile um, and expected on base average to 25th and then 83rd and expected ERA to 25th. I mean, I, I don't know what happened where the wheels fell off for him. Paddock, uh, you know, it comes down to him just needing to develop a legit pitch behind his fastball and his changeup. And, you know, he went from allowing a 204 average on his fastball in 2019 to a 308 average. And if he works his butt off, you know, develops those other pitching options, we well, could be a multi-all-star player here. But if not, he could probably end up being like another Chris Archer where we saw him be legitimately a one-year wonder um, and not really living up to the early hype that they showed early on. And then Derek, last for the bullpen, you know, coming into a year on paper, the three sum of, uh, of course, Kirby Yates, Emilio Pagan, and Drew Pomeranz, they looked great, but Yates, he really struggled uh, and obviously had his injury as well. And then Pagan had a 4-5 ERA. He was supposed to be the setup man, truly, to Yates. And so not having that bridge and not having the man to close it out at the end of the day, I think that's something that caught the Padres by a bit of surprise. Um, they traded for Trevor Rosenthal, who didn't give up an earned run in the regular season, but overall the bullpen had a 4-3-80 RA. It's not terrible, but given what their expectations were, also with the hitting and starting pitching uh, that really lived up to expectation, that ultimately was the downfall for this team. So now we move into the offseason, and the obvious question is going to be, uh, well, how can they get further than they were the year before? And more specifically, how can they get beyond the Dodgers, the team who beat them in the playoffs, the team who finished ahead of them um, in the regular season as well? They haven't advanced past the NLDS since 1998. So it's been a while since they've been uh, playing for a pennant in that final round. And being in the same division at the Dodgers, that obviously makes things a lot harder. They have Jason Castro, Yurikson Profar, Mitch Moreland, Garrett Richards, Trevor Rosenthal, Kirby Yates as uh, notable free agents. 
what do you think the missing piece for them to, to maybe push ahead of the Dodgers is going to be? Well, right now, if you look at their payroll, I mean, they still got some payroll flexibility. They're at 13th right now in the league on paper at 121.5 million. Uh, it does look like now because of Clevenger being injured that they could be primed for one more starter. Originally, I would have said if Clevenger was healthy that they just stick with what they got because Mackenzie Gore, who's supposed to be essentially that next Clayton Kershaw, uh, top pitching prospect left-hander for San Diego, they've been very careful with him, as Braden had kind of mentioned last week. Well, now all of a sudden you have a rotation of Lamette. You, you mentioned Davies is a question mark. Paddock is a question mark. You don't know how Gore is going to start out. They do need another starter. Um, and so that kind of changes things a little bit. They do have youth. They have Luis Patino, Ryan Weathers, uh, Reggie Lawson, Anderson Espinosa coming back from an injury. So that could possibly play a role in them at least having some depth there. But they could use another ace in that rotation. Um, they could also use another hitter because Jerickson Propar is a free agent. Uh, Moreland's a free agent. So that DH role is kind of open. Let me throw this at you, Derek, because I think this would just be such an interesting match how about Nelson Cruz playing for the San Diego Padres? How cool would that be? Um, but on top of that, you know, you look at the more realistic approaches. I think, uh, you know, everybody's going to be saying Trevor Bauer because his friend Mike Clevenger is there. If he's not going to be the guy that they target, they could go for Charlie Morton, Corey Kluber. And then you love that pick also for Brad Hand possibly coming back in the back end of that bullpen. And I like that too. I could also see them going for Liam Hendricks. They could go back to Kirby Yates or they could go back to Trevor Rosenthal. All right, on to my team now, the San Francisco <laughs> Giants, 29-31. and 31, Missed the playoffs, dude. I, I'm still upset about this due to the tiebreaker with the Brewers. They didn't play each other. They didn't play any common opponents, and yet there was a tiebreaker in place. Just have them play a one-game playoff. The tiebreaker was divisional record, which, of course, the Brewers had the better divisional record. They had the Pirates in their division. They had a weak division that not one of the teams advanced past it, whereas the Giants are in the division with the teams with the two best records in the National League. I really do think the Giants would have given the Dodgers a much harder run at their money than what the Brewers gave them, which was nothing. I mean, honestly, the Brewers walked into the playoffs. You could even say they limped in the playoffs. I would have loved to see a tie-breaking matchup. If you're going to have eight teams from both sides, you can afford to have one extra game in a 60-game regular season. I do think the Giants kind of got uh, the raw end of that deal. And uh, so that's kind of unfortunate because they started to figure it out too towards the end of the season, which is a little frustrating if I was a Giants fan, which I'm not. <laughs> um, well, the party for you, Derek. T take us through what's, uh, what's going on with them now going into this 2021 year. Yeah, the party, I mean, they actually hit. It's been a while since I've seen a Giants team that could hit. They were fifth in the NL in runs. They're fourth in average, fifth in slugging percentage and OPS. And then you kind of found some solid starting pitchers uh, off the scrap heap. There were no fans, obviously, but um, it's been a while since the Giants not just had a solid offense, but were able to score runs consistently at home. They averaged five and a half runs per game at home, and that was over a run more than they averaged on the road. Now, part of that, is they moved in the fences. And I think more importantly than moving in the fences a couple feet was the fact that they closed off. They had some airways where the air could leak through the stadium and they closed it off. So now there's no more like jet streams coming in that's holding the ball in. But I, I think also the hitting surgeons can kind of be attributed to three things. One, uh, the highly paid veterans that you had on the roster, they stepped up. Brandon Belt had an OPS over a thousand and who knows if that would have continued for a full season because we've seen before Brandon Belt um, have a really hot stretch for a couple weeks or a month and then kind of tail off after that. But 
hey, at the end of the season, he had an OPS over 1,000. Brandon Crawford had one of his best hitting seasons. Number two, Farhan's diamonds uh, in the rough, so to speak. He's, he's been really good at picking guys up from other teams, you know, AAA or whatever it is. Like Mike Yastrzemski was in the Orioles organization. He picks him up, comes up to the majors, was really good last year. This year he was even better. He had a 968 OPS. Uh, if they would have ended up being a better team, he would have been floated more in that MVP conversation. He did actually get a couple votes, though. Alex Dickerson, he continued to mash righties after they got him for cheap from the Padres. Donovan Solano, who they got for Johnny Barrels. Yeah, he won a silver slugger. Like, what the heck? Darren <laughs> Ruff, they bring him over from overseas, and he ends up just mashing lefties all year long. The third thing is they got a few guys to come up, and they haven't had a bulk of their prospects. I mean, they've got some possible good young prospects who are just really, really young right now, um, or guys who uh, may be a year away or so. But they did have a couple guys. Like Austin Slater has kind of been back and forth in AAA in the majors. He came up, did well. Mauricio Dubon, who they got in the trade for Drew Pomeranz to Milwaukee, he had a really good year. And when you lost Buster Posey for the season, you already had questions about the lineup as a whole. That was another hit. But just between the, the smart matchups, the platoons, the scouting, they made it work. And I think that goes to the pitching staff as well. Like, you signed Kevin Gossman, and he kind of looked like Jason Schmidt 2.0, <laughs> who comes into the, the Giants and then has, like, a, a career resurrection. Uh, I don't know what the Giants did to, to get his stuff actualized. I think they had him use his splitter a little bit more. Um, he had a 12K per nine. His fifth was a 3.09. That's really good. And then you brought in another guy off the scrap heap, so to speak, Drew Smiley. He only gives you five games of, of starting action, seven total appearances. He had a 2.01 fifth. Drew Smiley had a 14K per nine. He was top five in the MLB in strikeout percentage. And part of it was, again, the Giants figuring out ways to actualize some of these guys. Threw his curve a ton. He threw his curveball 37% of the time, and batters only hit 184 against it. Um, unfortunately for the Giants, he signed away with the, the Braves. He got a one-year, $11 million contract. Good for him. And I think he kind of reminds me of like a Rich Hill 2.0. He's going to have his injury struggles, but if he's using that curveball ton and going to be that effective, it's kind of similar. Well, we'll turn to the negatives, and they were 14th in the NL in fielding. Oh, classic Dodgers fan just wanting to point out the negatives. <laughs> well, I have to mention the bullpen did rebound from a rocky start. They ended up with a 4-2-4 ERA, so actually a decent number considering that circumstance you still don't really have a ton of names on there that you feel like can lock down a particular inning but a handful of those guys did put up solid years uh over there Derek and so uh it's not quite a hangover it's just not really a party either if you want to put it lightly the starters ended with a 499 ERA and that includes Gosman's great year getting an average starter uh and a season out of Tyler Anderson and Smiley's appearances as well Cueto did have a rough year. Johnny Cueto was supposed to be the ace and anchor of that staff. Logan Webb, he could develop, but he hasn't really found his footing yet. And then, yeah, Jeff Samarge's career might be over at this point in time. It was a complete disaster what he showed in 2020. They don't have the pitching depth there yet. There's still more help coming through the minors, of course. And I'm excited to see what Seth Corey does. I think that kid is going to be special moving forward. Uh, but that could start, you know, making its way in 2021 or shortly thereafter. So, Derek, a couple questions for you. You know, realistically, 
how aggressive do you think these Giants should actually be, considering the fact the Padres and Dodgers are kind of right now favored to be winning that division yet again and, you know, going back to the playoffs? What, what are you kind of wanting to see? Because there's questions about how sustainable some of their performances were. And also, you know, do they try and battle and match the Dodgers and Padres? Um, it just seems silly to some people maybe to send in your chips and cash in for these higher paid free agents if you can't really make a push at the division. So what are you kind of looking for here? Yeah, I, I think that's going to be the route they go. And I, I think that is the route that they should go. Um, after this year, you have even more contracts come off the books. And even if you went out and signed, like, let's say you signed Trevor Bauer and George Springer, even if you did that, you would still probably not have as, as good of a team as even the Padres in the division. So um, I think you wait another year. That gives you another year to maybe find some more diamonds in the rough. I think that's what they're going to do. They're going to give a bunch of cheap one-year deals, some more reclamation products, uh, projects, try to find another Kevin Gossman type of guy, maybe get some cheap hitters, um, and then develop those prospects in the minors. And maybe you see a couple of them come up later in the season to where they can be starters for the 2021 season. And that's when you start to make your free agent moves when those guys start to come up. But I think for this year, it's going to kind of be similar to what you saw uh, for this year. What about Joey Bart? What are those expectations? Because those were sky high, uh, especially when he got called up. I was excited. I had him in fantasy baseball, and I had high expectations for him. Uh, so now what are those expectations, knowing that he's still a very young player? He just hasn't had that early pan out that I think a lot of Giants fans kind of wanted. Yeah, I, I think uh, – I mean, it's, it's tough for him because he had only had 20-something games above single-A baseball, and then all of a sudden you're coming into the majors – he still hit the ball really hard. It's just really weird. He didn't end up with any home runs. That was probably the biggest disappointment, like the average you could have dealt with and stuff. But, I mean, there have been other guys who've come up and, and struggled in their first year of limited time, like Javi Baez and An uh, Anthony Rizzo both hit under the Mendoza line when they first came up. They ended up being okay. I think the same will be for Joey Bart. Um, I honestly don't think he's going to start the year in the majors. I think that with Posey back um, – Farhan Zaidi has mentioned wanting to get another catcher. I think they're going to take it slow with Bart. I think they're going to put him in double or triple A, let him kind of uh, establish himself at a lower level and then come up back again. But I, I'm still high on him. I, I just think that um, sometimes this can be good when you get tempered expectations. But I, I also was to a point like I, I don't think Joey Bart's going to come up and end up being like their best prospect. I, I think that he'll be a good player. It just is going to take a couple of years. You look at the uh, the notable free agents. You don't really have a lot coming out of San Francisco. You have Trevor Cahill. Uh, you have Kevin Gossman, who already signed that qualifying offer. And then you have Drew Smiley, who they did lose to Atlanta. And then you have Tony Watson, who, you know, he's kind of a questionable arm at this point. He, he wasn't particularly reliable. He was supposed to be a closer, and at one point he was a closer. And so, uh, you know, Farhan had kind of mentioned needing another left-handed bat. Uh, they had an a 838 OPS against lefties, but uh, just a 764 OPS against righties. So that kind of makes sense. They have a 10th ranked payroll. That's at $129.3 million. Um, Derek, I'll throw one name out for you that I think kind of makes some sense. You tell me what you think. I would love to see them sign Corey Kluber. I just feel like there's still something left in the tank there. Um, yeah, he's getting a little bit older, but you know, they do need another starter. And uh, after losing Smiley, who is a lefty, he's not a righty, Kluber is a righty. Uh, but to be able to just get another reclamation plot project, kind of like what you had mentioned that you could see San Francisco doing, do you think Corey Kluber would make some sense with this team? Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. I mean, you gave 
So this is kind of funny. The biggest contracts that Farhan Zaidi has given out for the Giants so far have been his only two-year contract he's given was Wilmer Flores, which that's kind of an uh, obscurity. He had a good year, though. Um, and then uh, his biggest contract by money amount was the qualifying offer accepted by Gossman. Prior to that, it was Kevin Gossman a year ago. He got a one-year, $8 million deal. I could see something similar to Corey Kluber. You give him one year, $8 million, maybe more for Kluber because he had more of a established background than uh, Gossman did. So one year, $10 million, one year, $12 million, whatever he's getting. I could see that happening, and I think that would make a lot of sense for both parties. I'm just a firm believer in Corey Kluber. I don't think that career is over. He's still a Cy Young in my heart. He's one of my favorite players that did not pitch for the L.A. Dodgers, wanted him to pitch really badly for him. Uh, but uh, to see him in San Francisco, I'd at least just like to see him succeed. But let's turn our attention now to Colorado. They were 26-34 and 34 last season. Pythagorean had them at a, as a 23-win team. And, Derek, why don't you take them away with the, uh, the party here? Yeah, Trevor Story, really good at baseball. And uh, that <laughs> continued. Also, Jermaine Marquez, I think he showed that he is a legit ace. Like, the numbers maybe don't look like it. If he was on another team in a different park, I think the numbers would be even better. But he's really good for them. And then just a cool story with Daniel Bard, who uh, returned to the MLB. He had the yips. He was off for several years. Threw gas. Had 10 strikeouts for nine innings. Had six saves. That was awesome. The other guys I mentioned, Trevor Story. It's just crazy how they've kind of gone from – a uh, really good player to really good player. They go from Tulo, uh, Tulowitzki, I'm, I'm talking about, uh, Arenado, and, and now the story. And uh, it's not like he was the only good hitter. Charlie Blackman had a really good year again. Kevin Pilar, who they traded for from the Red Sox, he was really good for them. And then I mentioned Jermaine Marquez. He had a 3.28 FIP, 3.75 ERA, which, again, made even better by the park he's playing in. But overall uh, – especially when you add in the off season, not great right now for uh, the Colorado Rockies. Yeah. And that kind of turns the attention to the hangover. You know, they were only eighth in runs and 11th in home runs. Somehow that doesn't even make sense to me because of those names you just kind of mentioned too. You have Trevor Story, Blackman and Arenado, and that's what they were able to produce. Granted, Arenado also struggled a little bit. And uh, despite the fact playing in course too, half the season, Arenado had his worst hitting season since 2013. The pitching ranked dead last in NLERA. Hits, runs, earned runs allowed, and strikeouts thanks to just an absolutely atrocious bullpen. Uh, you know, also on the defensive side, outside of Arenado, you know, they really struggled. That, that's a big factor why. And a uh, big reason why they didn't score as much was a lack of walking and home runs. They ranked 15th in walks. Obviously, it doesn't help that instead of a superhuman Arenado hitting the ball, you get what was by his OPS, a league average hitter. Uh, you know, over a 162 season, this is kind of the same talk about Tatis Jr. You have to be confident that Arenado will figure it out. It's also imperative to keep in mind, though, that uh, he did figure it out in August after a bad July, but that it had even a worse September. So it's kind of a streaky season. And what's worse than that, though, the bullpen, which had a 6.77 ERA and a 1.67 WHIP. Uh, and you mentioned the defense. The Rockies got 18 runs saved out at third base last year. Uh, no one else has even gotten the double digits. But the rest of the team was at minus five in defensive runs saved. So this is kind of a mess of an organization because you have a bunch of big names at the top. And there's just not a lot to work with outside of that. And so now the question is, Derek, I mean, what do you think? Will Trevor Story, uh, you know, with him being a free agent next year, do they consider trading him? Obviously, Nolan Arenado has been in the mix. Do they consider trading him as well? The craziest thing, Derek, about all of this, and uh, I was blown away. I've been kind of looking at all these different payrolls and blew my mind is that they are ninth in payroll right now in the MLB. 
they're going to want to trim down that payroll though. And so uh, one thing to keep in mind is, you know, are they going to make any additions? If they were, uh, I mentioned Nelson Cruz for the Padres. How cool would it be to see him in Coors? But I just don't see that happening. I, I think right now it's going to be selling off the farm uh, for the farm. And uh, I think this might be the offseason we see Arenado go. Do they try and extend Trevor's story? Or do they say, you know what, we're wrapping this thing up. We're going to keep, the, you know, the guys that we have that in the farm system and try and build from within, you know, maybe build around Colton Welker. Uh, it's hard to see this team competing. If they are going to try and make additions, that rotation, it needs some help. And so they could do some buy low options. That could be Alex Wood, could be Corey Kluber, as we mentioned, Tyler Chatwood making a return. Uh, Jimmy Nelson's one that I would love to see, just another reclamation project. Uh, but uh, it's going to be kind of a rough offseason, I think, for Colorado fans. Yep, I definitely agree. And uh, it was actually a good offseason for the next team, which is the Arizona Diamondbacks, but didn't turn into a good season. 25 and 35. Pythagorean actually had them as a little bit better at 27 wins. You mentioned the Rockies were supposed to be worse. Um, the party, they didn't strike out much, which, I mean, that's a skill. That's good. Uh, David Peralta came back to form after the injury. They got Cole Calhoun on the cheap. He became a nice piece. Zach Gallen looks like a possible star. Just the way he commands like three or four different pitches he is, is awesome. Filthy stuff. Yeah. Filthy stuff. And then Merrill Kelly, he had a really good year for them. He could be kind of a late bloomer. Um, and they also got help on the way. They have a lot of good prospects coming up at some point. Overall, I mean, the party is is kind of bare. It's, uh, you know, it's more of a kickback than a party because you finished last in the division. You traded away one of your best players in Starling Marte. You flubbed on the Madison Bumgarner signing. As I said, though, the hope is moving forward that this thing turns uh, from a kickback to a big rager because uh, they got a lot of really good prospects. Christian Robinson, Alec Thomas, Corbin Carroll, Geraldo Perdomo, and then you got to see a little bit of Dalton Varsho, who's kind of your rare like catcher-outfielder hybrid who's fast. It's, it's kind of a weird combination. Uh, let's go to the hangover, Derek. And they were 14th in the NL in home runs, 10th in average. You know, what happened to Cattell Marte's power? That's a big question mark because obviously coming off a 30-plus home run season, you had Eduardo Escobar slumping all season. And their big off-season moves, as you kind of mentioned, they just did not pan out. Marte was awesome for them, and that is Starling Marte, I should add. Uh, but then he got dealt at the deadline to the Miami Marlins, and then Bumgarner was a shell of himself as a diamondback. On top of that, Eduardo Escobar, you know, he goes from an 824 OPS in 2018 to an 831 OPS in 2019. And then this was a significant fall off here. It was a 605 OPS in 2020. It's not just a small sample size. If you go back to the all-star break of 2019 and include the second half of that season with Escobar's 54 games this past season, his average would be 226 mm. with a 295 on base percentage. That is not what you want from your number three, number four, number five hitter, which is basically where he hit across the lineup. You know, pitching had their own issues outside of Kelly's five starts, three from Smith and Gallon's year. And man, Gallon's year was something special. You got 40 starts, though, between Luke Weaver, Madison Bumgarner, Robbie Ray, now a Toronto Blue Jay, Alex Young, and Taylor Clark. And the ERAs of those starters were 6'6, 6'5, 7'8, 5'4. And 4-4. On top of that, I have the bone to pick, and that is with just overall their way they handled Kevin Crone. 
I thought Kevin Crone was going to be the future DH of this organization and could be an absolute stud. You know, he tore apart AAA pitching just the year before. He's also a fellow TCU Horn Frog, so that might be part of it. Um, but they completely let him go after giving him limited at-bats. He has now taken his talents to Japan, and uh, I think that's one player that they're going to really regret letting go because I could see Kevin Crone becoming the next Eric Thames, for all we know. Uh, let's get on to the cold, hard news. Theo Epstein has stepped down as the uh, Cubs president. This is a pretty big move. I mean, you already had questions about if the Cubs were going to uh, kind of go away from their core to begin with. And part of the reason he stepped down, which was very interesting, he didn't like the way the game was going. Now, I, I don't know if that was a direct shot at Rob Manfred or if that was a um, almost disgust that he kind of helped nurture this money ball idea to where now – teams aren't paying players as much and it's creating this log jam and free agency and hurting the product. But a uh, very interesting move there. Uh, it has come to our attention that a, uh, a very trusted source from the New York Yankees has suggested that DJ LeMahieu, who is 32 years old, is looking for a five-year deal worth a hundred million dollars. Derek, that it means 20 million a year. But I think more importantly, just looking at the fact that that's a five-year deal for a guy that, you know, you've seen a couple solid seasons. I mean, solid, I say that lightly. He, he was an MVP candidate, but five years, that seems like a long time for DJ LeMahieu. It's going to be curious to see kind of the route that the Mets take, because I think the bidding war is going to be on DJ LeMahieu between the two New York teams. That's just me personally. Um, and uh, let's get right into that actually a little more because we have our first time ever a mailbag. And so, uh, Derek, I made the mistake. I decided to post our podcast and everything in a Facebook group. Uh, and uh, now I'm going to give a shout out to the Baseball Talk Facebook group because that is a great group, by the way, of roughly 22,000 baseball fans on Facebook that all they do is talk baseball. I think that's awesome. And uh, so we're taking some questions from some of those people. And uh, they have some really in interesting insight, I think, that we can kind of dig into here, Derek. First one comes from Scott K. So he asked, how does the narrative of the New York Mets change with new ownership? I'll let you answer that one first. Oh, man. I, I view it a lot differently, like in a positive way. I just I think he's going to be willing to spend money. He's going to be willing to put them in a position to win. And he's brought this up. He's, he's not going to be like one of those reckless owners who's just saying, hey, just buy everybody, and then it doesn't work out, and then it's just like, just buy the next free agent class. No, it's going to be buying people when it calls for it, but also trying to build up uh, the organization. He said that. He said, you know, we want to win a World Series in the next three to five years, but also we want to be competitive every year. We don't want to just win a World Series and fall off. So I, I think he's going to change that culture. Um, the previous ownership was one of the worst in baseball. Now I think it's going to be one of the best. The next question that we had comes from Dan G. Um, I'll kind of start this one off here. He asks, are the Angels pitching, picking up any pitching? Well, Dan, uh, our last podcast when we covered the AL West and we talked about the Angels, I think 99% of the time, Derek and I, we were kind of addressing that Angels rotation or lack thereof. Specifically, they only have three starting pitchers, and it's not even that great as is right now. And so I think at this point in time, that's going to be their number one focus. And uh, the final question, we're going to go to MD. And so he asks, how do the Dodgers repeat in 2021? Uh, Derek, I'll, I'll take, I guess, the lead on this one because uh, I think we talked mostly about this. The, the fact that this team already has the pieces. It's a matter of 
ultimately, what are they going to do long-term wise? I think, I think that's the big issue is do they sign Justin Turner for two years? He's 36 years old. Do they consider, you know, the fact that maybe the DH goes away after this next season? That's a risk that they could take. Justin Turner at 38 years old, obviously his defense is falling off right now. Imagine what it will be like in two years. So that's going to be a big move. But uh, I think if you're trying to win a championship, if you're the LA Dodgers again, you got to look at your roster right now and feel great already about it. Uh, but to put them over the top and probably secure that, I would say it's definitely somebody that can secure that ninth inning. And so I will say Liam Hendricks is the answer if they want to win the World Series again and repeat as 2021 World Series champions. Derek, what do you think? Yeah, just run it back. You're really good. Just run it back. Keep doing your thing. It'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah, well, All thank right. you guys for the uh, the mailbox. Uh, Derek, you can take it away with the uh, the closing time at this point. Yep. Don't forget to subscribe to us. Give us a five-star review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Amazon Audible. Uh, you can also follow us on social media. We're at Booze and Baseball with an N in between the Booze and Baseball. You can also reach out to our email. It's boozeandbaseball at gmail.com to ask any questions, maybe suggest some alcohol to review. Uh, thanks to Mixkit for the stock music. Responsibly, have a good one for Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. Bye.